Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Being at Work. I'm Andrea Butcher. I'm your host. And I really appreciate the conversation today as there's so much focus on the whole person at work, talking with clients every day about that. You know, employees want to be seen holistically. And today's guest will share a story that highlights exactly what that means. After a major life change, she recognized that she couldn't be that 60-hour workhorse anymore. Jody Brandstetter is the author of Hire by Design and the chief talent strategist of her business, Lean Effective Talent Strategies. But what you really need to know about Jody is that she is the CEO of her life, designing it all. And she uses design thinking to drive empathy, curiosity, creativity, and a willingness to just try things. Listen in as we talk about letting go of a fear of failure, solving problems with the human in mind. And make sure to tune in to the entire show as Jody gives us two practical tips for moving away from a negative headspace right at the end of the episode. I tried one of them and I got to tell you, it works. So check it out. I have been a recruiter by trade for over 20 years. That has been my passion, my love, and I've done it, you know, within the corporate space as well as in the staffing space. And I took that passion and love and tweaked it to become an entrepreneur. So back in 2015, I had my beautiful baby girl, Lena, on St. Patrick's Day, my favorite holiday. And that just shifted my role completely. I went from my job being my baby to actually having a baby and then having to figure out how to have both passions in my life, my job and my child. And I realized that it was extremely difficult to transition, not only myself, but my company to transition to see me um, holistically as a mom and a professional. And then I realized that I just wasn't in the right role anymore. It just wasn't the right fit for me in the space I was in at that day or in that time in my life. I so appreciate your language about you wanting the organization to see you holistically because you know we hear that all the time. Approaching the whole person, recognizing like the humanness at work. What did that look like for you at that time? Like wanting to be seen holistically. When I came back from maternity leave, they just saw me as Jody before maternity leave. They saw the woman who would give 110% willing to do whatever it took to help her team and the company be successful in hiring. And that I was just going to go right back to being that person, that same exact person. And I had a huge life change. You know, I had this beautiful little girl who, by the way, came five weeks early. So really wasn't even prepared for maternity leave when she showed up. But I needed them to see me as the new Jody, the person who was still passionate and loved her job and wanted to succeed, but also wanted to really bond and love and give everything I needed to my child as well. So I couldn't be the workhorse. I couldn't be the one who could come in on Saturdays and Sundays anymore. That didn't mean I still didn't love that I didn't love my job. I could still do my job. It's just that I couldn't 
spend the time that I used to at work, I would work seven to seven. I mean, I was what you would call a workhorse. At one point, my boss told me I was the least paid person per hour, even though I was the highest paid person on my team. So I gave a lot to, I mean, when I say that my job was my baby, oh my gosh, my job was my baby. <laughs> like I spent a lot of quality time and energy there. But when I had my child, I had to be able to work around some of these new challenges that I had. And I needed a, man, a team to see that. I needed a company to see that. I couldn't work seven to seven anymore, but I still could work a lot within that seven to three or seven to four, eight to five, I still was giving a hundred percent, but it didn't click with them to say, oh, wait, Jody has this human that she's taking care of too, that maybe we can't push her the same. And that was just, you know, at the beginning, I could have evolved, right? Like, so, you know, if I look at myself today with a, a beautiful seven-year-old, I'm, in a completely different space today with my work than I was then. But a three-month-old, that's a little different. There's a lot to be done there. Of course. And so your needs and your expectations naturally are going to shift as your life, as your life shifts. And so that's what's like seeing you holistically is recognizing that. Having an employer that recognizes, okay, of course, because of this life change, she's going to need different things. And there's so many life changes that we go through that shift us, right? So we're just talking about a birth. There are deaths that shift us too. There are, you get older, you have parents that need you in a different capacity. There are times where you have all these different pieces changing in your life. And if we aren't willing as an employer to see the whole situation, then we can't give grace. We can't recognize when they need a moment or we can't say, hey, go home early and spend some time with so-and-so because I know they're struggling. You know, if you don't have those conversations, you don't know your employees holistically, you're not able to help them in the times they need it the most. Yes, I love it. Life changes equal changing expectations. And unless the organization comes alongside the employee during that time, they're going to miss the boat. Yeah. Which is what you exactly what you were feeling. So you during that time, you recognize, okay, something's got to change here. Like this is not going to work for me now. I cannot be the workhorse that I was before. So what did you do? So the first thing I did was I looked at is there another opportunity out there that kind of keeps my passion going but puts me in a different spot in a corporation. And I looked around and, you know, every job I looked at really, it just felt like I was going back into the same situation I'm in. And so I had to then take a step back and say, okay, I can either, you know, stay with a team that I absolutely loved, a company that I was very passionate about, but it just wasn't the right fit at the moment. I can push through, right? And just continue on because there's nothing out there in another job, or I could venture out and become an entrepreneur. And literally take it into my own hands on how I work, when I work, and what I do. And I have an amazing partner. My husband is fantastic. And he recognized that I needed a change. I was very burnt out at that point. 
And so we both decided that that was the best thing for me. And I was able to take my passion of recruiting and talent acquisition and continue my path in that direction, but just in a different way, you know, helping other organizations with creating the best processes to be able to make sure they have the tools necessary to be successful, helping their recruiters train. But I was doing it and I was actually responsible for (laughs) my expectations of my job, what I could do. And that, that was just an amazing experience and opportunity to be able to do that because I learned so much about myself because I will say that my company made me a workhorse, but that's not true. I make myself a workhorse. I'm the one who pushes myself to my limits. It is not anyone around me. It's me. And so even when I became a, my own you know, CEO of my company, I still struggled in so many different ways for the same reasons I struggled in corporate. And so there's this whole mind shift that you have to take if you truly want to be able to look at yourself holistically and be able to figure out what do you need and how do you work the best and and what do you need to do to make you happy and keep that passion going for what you do. Yes. I had a moment earlier this week where I was feeling completely overwhelmed and I was looking at my calendar and I realized like, oh, my life is so full, but I have filled it with all of these things. (laughs) Yeah. So, but the ownership in that is really helpful, isn't it? It's empowering because if you got yourself into it, there are opportunities to get yourself into a better place. Absolutely. And when it, when you realize it's you, you can then own it, like you said, but then you can be able to figure out, okay, how can I make this work? What am I doing to cause this to happen? Is it, I'm a 100% people pleaser. That's who I am through and through. And so a lot of times I have to stop and say, am I doing this to serve that person in a positive way? Am I doing this because I feel like I have to do it? You know, I have to like look at things and make decisions if it's a yes or no, and be able to say no and accept that no without putting myself into turmoil. Because if you're a people pleaser and you tell someone, no, I can't do it, it can really mess with your psyche. (laughs) You can really have some negative self-talk after doing that. So there's a lot of work there. Yeah. That's a really great question to get at the underlying motivation. What is motivating me in this situation? You can learn a lot about yourself by taking that time to reflect. Yes. Well, and I know, Jody, that design thinking has been a really important part of your career. You know, you have a book, Hire by Design, that's grounded in design thinking. And no doubt during this time, you were applying design thinking to your new adventure as an entrepreneur. Absolutely. And the funny thing was, is once I actually had the term design thinking, I realized I had been using design thinking forever. (laughs) This is little pieces. I was able to connect and say, oh, I was doing this and I was using iteration here and I was doing ideation here and I did a mashup brainstorm and I didn't even know I did it. You know, so all of a sudden... I think that's why so many people resonate with design thinking. That's been my experience. It's just exactly what you described because it's like, oh, it's naming all of those things. 
that have been really helpful and served me so well. Absolutely. So can you give for listeners who aren't familiar with the concept or maybe have heard of it, but aren't really sure what it is, give us a little overview of design thinking. So design thinking is a tool to help us solve a problem. And so there's steps along the way that you use through design thinking. But the core of it is to look at the problem and find a solution that works for the human as well as the business. So you want it to be desirable, which means like someone wants to, you know, maybe do that process or be a part of that experience. But you also want it feasible and viable for a business to do it. There could be an amazing candidate experience out there, but it costs, you know, six figures <laughs> to do and a company can't afford that six figures. So you really, this is a way to kind of ground it and say, okay, it works for the person, it works for the business. And you're focused the whole time on the person. So you're really focused on understanding your audience and what their needs are, what their expectations are, so that when you do have that solution, you're thinking of them. You're not thinking of me. You know, you're thinking of, is this going to work for that person? Is this going to work for the business? So it kind of takes you out of it, which is really powerful when you think about recruiting and hiring and HR, because the WIFM is what's in it for me is about the candidate. Fortunately, usually not about the recruiter. But at the same time, our experience as a recruiter is just as important. But our perspective and our process is based off of what we do. We need to look at our candidate's perspective and understand that for the parts that they do. So we can't assume that our candidates are going to want the process that we want. But we also can't assume a candidate's going to want the same recruiting process, right? So you have to really look at the actual audience and then figure out their piece to it. So there could be multiple pieces. Give me an example using the hiring process as the scenario. Like, What would it look like if we were applying design thinking to our recruiting efforts? So one thing we talked about before we started recording was that with design thinking, I've kind of created my own pieces of design thinking based off of other industries to go into HR with design thinking. So when I think about the hiring process, the first thing I think about is building a hiring blueprint to really understand the holistic side of the recruiting process. So a hiring blueprint has the candidate journey in it. So it looks at what steps a candidate goes through, their emotions, their feelings. And then it also looks at, okay, who is responsible for those different steps on the employer side? Is it the recruiter? Is it the hiring manager? What tools are we using? What technology are we using? It also includes like processes, approvals, training. So it kind of like lays out everything that you would need to understand about the hiring process in different perspectives, different eyes. And so that is like the, I would say the big, huge piece of of design thinking that can be very powerful for us because it forces us to look at different perspectives, but then also build the process around it and ensure we have the tools to go with it. But a very, just to give you a really simple one, Versus, you know, I just gave you a a big one. So a simple way for design thinking is one of my favorites is the candidate persona. 
which is helping a recruiter understand who their ideal candidate is for a position. And this is based off of the marketing customer persona. But what a candidate persona does, it looks at the motivators, the values, the skills, and then where do you find them? So it's kind of what I call a three-in-one. You figure out who, what the motivators maybe of a candidate or what you should be talking to the candidate about to get them excited about the opportunity. Then you figure out your source string, sourcing strings because you're figuring out job titles, companies, experience, skills that you should be looking at. And then you create your sourcing strategy because then you think about, okay, where are they? Where can I find them? And then how can I engage them? And all of a sudden, you have your sourcing strategy. So the candidate persona is a very simple piece to get so much out of to help a recruiter be successful with their sourcing and their recruiting. Yeah. Well, and great example. I mean, that really does highlight the definition you provided because what you just described, that process forces you to think about your audience and what their needs are, like in a like really deep way. Like you really have to think about, so it's personalized. It really is personalized in the way that you're really getting to know the person or the people who you're going to want to, to hire for this position. It's so important for the person to enjoy their job and be passionate about their job. But it's also really important for that business to find the right person who's going to help them hit their business goals, the objectives of that role. And so when you can put those together and combine that, that is power. That is the, um, I guess, the superpower a recruiter can really bring to an organization if you can get both sides the exact, what they're looking for exactly. I mean, it's, that's utopia, I guess, for a recruiter. Absolutely. It's like win-win, win-win all around. Yes. So how have you applied this concept of solving a problem that works for the human? How have you applied that in other aspects of your life? So a big part of design thinking is empathy. And I have really been focused on building my empathy muscles and being able to see other individuals' perspectives. And that has really helped me as just a person in general. (laughs) A lot of times, again, we make a lot of assumptions in this world and those assumptions usually aren't right. And if you don't put yourself in someone else's shoes, you don't really understand what they're dealing with. And so when you have empathy and you're using it daily, you really get to understand others and you can, you relate better, better communication. My daughter, I have, it's hard sometimes to have empathy (laughs) with her, bless her heart. And she's seven now, right? Mm -hmm. She's seven turning 17. Oh, Jody, you've got a lot of years to apply design (laughs) thinking. Mm But you know, that's the one thing when I look at my daughter, I always ask questions. I'm very curious to understand her side of the world. And that's really what I think empathy is, is being curious, being willing to figure out what someone else is thinking. And so that's really big, just personally, is the empathy side. Well, and what I hear and what you're describing too with design thinking is there's no judgment. Like it's suspending judgment, which really encourages openness and curiosity. Yes. That I just want to seek to understand. Absolutely. And then you have the fun part, which is ideation, which is coming up with 
tons of ideas. And again, that is an area where everything is open. You can put down the worst idea possible and that's okay because all we're trying to do now is get as many ideas on the table so that we can then look at them and see which ones work, which ones make sense, and then be able to apply the ones to the prototyping stage um, to see if it's going to actually fit. And that's the other curious part of design thinking too, is that we're not looking to find the perfect thing the first time. We're just trying to put something really simple, easy out there to see if it's going to work or not. And if it fails, that's actually good because we learned something. Yeah, small wins, right? Yeah, and you can apply it to the next time. But yeah, I mean, I think that's the other thing is you're always, your mind needs to be open and be willing to try new things with design thinking. And sometimes that can be really hard for businesses because we have that, we've always done it this way uh, mentality, but it's like, you know what, just open up and be curious and who knows what will happen. I'm helping a client right now look for an ATS system and they gave me a budget and I thought it was a high budget, but I'm like, you know, I haven't looked at ATSs for a while. And they've been spending a good amount of money on theirs. And I came in today and told them, I said, we can probably take your budget and go down. We can do 20% of it and get you a really robust system. And they're like, what? And I'm like, well, I was curious. I started looking at multiple applicant tracking systems. I didn't just pick the one that someone said I should use. And I found out that with the cloud and everything we can do now with technology, an applicant tracking system can be very affordable for a smaller business. And that to me is a wonderful way of a business realizing like, oh, if we are curious enough to look at systems and just stay updated, right? I mean, I would say if every HR department should always every year have one person look at new HR systems and pricing, just so you know. Well, it's changing so quickly. Exactly. You might be able to negotiate your (laughs) price down with your current system. You might find something that's even better, but you're always knowing what's going on in the world. And so you're going to be able to help your business be more successful and say, hey, we can cut costs here, but it's still going to be really an amazing product for us to use. Well, and I suspect like that level of transparency and openness, I can only imagine the impact that has on relationships and the level of trust then that you have in those relationships. Absolutely. And I think that with design thinking, one of the things that's helped me personally too is I've always hated to fail. (laughs) I I have been like 100% competitive. I must win at everything at all costs. I'm, you know, I'm from Indiana. I'm a basketball girl. Like (laughs) we were brought up to win, right? And with design thinking, I finally realized how impactful failing was and how much I needed to fail. And all of a sudden, that stigma went away. And now I have no problem telling people when I fail, when I mess up. And that alone, having that ability to be vulnerable and say, I did not do it correctly, you build trust with other people so quickly. It's amazing how many people are okay when you fail, if you just tell them. So what is that? Like, why has design thinking helped you to see failure so differently? Because I rec- it helped me recognize that 
the failure is only a failure if you allow it to be a failure. If you take the time to actually look at what happened and learn from it, it's not a failure. It's actually a success and that it's okay. And then empathy helped me understand that people want to know you for who you are and they, they accept your flaws. They accept, you know, if you're vulnerable and you're willing to give that information out. And so again, like knowing that I can go to a client and say, you know what, my bad, I messed up there, you know, but I'm going to do this next time. Then they are like, oh, you owned it. And you, you just told me how you're going to fix it. Okay, let's keep moving forward. There's so much trust and credibility in that. Yes. Yes, because it's honest. You're acknowledging what is, you're acknowledging your experience, you're acknowledging what you're feeling. Absolutely. Yes. And then they start to feel like they can do the, th- the same with you. And the same thing. Mm-hmm. The guard comes down. Oh my gosh. I can see why you're applying design thinking to all aspects of your life. I mean, because these are relational skills. Being empathic, being open, being curious, seeking to understand, being willing to be creative and generate ideas, trying things and this feeling of progress and momentum and being willing to say like, okay, that's not working. What else can we try? Yes. Just creates the spirit of we've got this. Yeah. It's really, really empowering, isn't it? It is. And something else that it provides too is the idea of not saying no so quickly to people. So instead of saying no, and probably a lot of people get annoyed with me now because I'll say, and I'm going to do a yes and. (laughs) And I say it like that. I'm going to do a yes and. And they look at me and I'm like, because I'm not saying no to you, but I'm saying there's also this, you know? So it's this positive side of the conversation. So instead of me saying, no, we should do it this way. I'm saying, yes. And there's this opportunity too. So it could be a build upon or it could be a complete shift. But I'm not saying to that person, no, no, that's not right. I'm still working on that one, by the way, Andrea. I'm not perfect with that yet. (laughs) That one's a hard one. (laughs) Well, what's so great about that is I hear the empathy in it because you're acknowledging their perspective, their idea, and you're adding to it. Yes. Like that's the key, isn't it? Yes. And it is. It's amazing how we can just change a few little words and make things so much more powerful. I was talking to another, I was on another podcast. And and one thing I said was, if we would just ask each other, how are you? And not take the fake response, say, no, really, how are you? And like, be willing to force them to tell you how they really are feeling. And then that way, that can give you so much insight into what's going on with that person. And just asking the question too. I mean, not even expecting them to have an answer, but creating an environment in which you you really care and that you're going to create space for what they're really feeling. Absolutely. How are you really? (laughs) Yes, that's the thing, right? And we did that. When we jumped on, right, we were both sharing stories about feeling a bit overwhelmed recently and how we've been leading through that. And yeah, we did these breathing exercises. Yes, yes. You have to share this breathing tip with our listeners because it's so good. I will. And it will be fun for us to make this crazy breathing noise (laughs) for our listeners. They're going to love it. (laughs) I was in a training and I'm so sorry. I I wish I knew her name because she was wonderful. But she was helping us with ways 
to kind of shift our mindset when we go into, I would say, maybe more of a negative space, right? And she was, I mean, super smart talking about a lot of brain activity that I'm not smart enough to talk about. But one of the things she said that she does to kind of get herself out of that, that negative space or get herself to kind of almost like light herself back up is she breathes in two quick, very loud breaths and then one breath out loud. So I'm going to do it. Hopefully you can hear it, but it's... And it really forces one, it forces your body to move, right? Like, because you're really pushing it and then you're blowing it out. And sometimes just that breath out, you're just taking all that negativity and crap and just pushing it out of your body. Well, and it also gets you away from the negative thoughts. Just changes your, we did it earlier and immediately I felt lighter as a result. Yeah. And it, it took us what? Two seconds. <laughs> Take it, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's so good. Just be armed with strategies like that. When I recognize in the moment. Yeah. Another one, just if anyone really wants to be entertaining to, if you go in the office or if people are in your house, is if you feel like, again, you're stuck or you're just like, I can't get past this or anything like that. Just stop, stand up and just shake it out and then sit back down. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Shake it out. We're shaking it out. Shake it out. We're shaking it out. And it's just so impactful again. And again, it's so quick, you know, like that, those are the things I need because I'm horrible at getting up from my desk. I don't go take walks, you know, like I know there's certain things about me being a workhorse that isn't going to work with me all the time. And right now with my workload, I can do deep breaths and I can stand up and shake it. And those things help me. And just finding those little things that are going to help kind of reshift your mind into more of a positive or at least get some clarity when you're stuck. Those things can really be impactful. And that is being the CEO of your life. It is recognizing, okay, what I'm doing right now is not serving me well. This is not the place I want to be in. What can I do to get myself into a better place, a better feeling place? So thank you. Thanks for those strategies. Thanks for unpacking design thinking for us. It's really helpful. I mean, empathy, ideation, curiosity, identifying small win opportunities, trying things, all of that adds up to trust, transparency. So good in any relationship, really anything that we're trying to accomplish, we can apply. We can apply those skills. Yeah, absolutely. And it can be so much fun. It can be so much fun to be able to do this type of, especially ideation with your team or with your people, with your family. There's one, I'll just give one tip for creativity for a family because it works very well for me and my family. And we're we're not too crazy of people. So I found this through IDOU, which is where I got certified for design thinking. It's the 30 circles. So you have 30 circles on a piece of paper and you give everyone either Sharpies or markers or crayons, whatever. Could be pens and pencils. And for like three minutes or five minutes, however long you want to go, you create with those circles. And then at the end, you tell people what you created. So I'll give you an example. I'll give you two examples. I'll give you my mother's example, which was hysterical. And then (laughs) someone else's. So all you're (laughs) supposed to do is say, do something with these circles. And 30 circles. I'm such a visual person. Just like an eight and a half by 11 that literally has 30 circles on it. Yeah. They're not super big. You know, like, So a lot of people might just do like a happy face. 
or they'll connect three and make them a snowman, or you can make a centipede, you know, so that's kind of what you can do. My mother, who is an artist, legit thought I wanted her to put a painting, like a an artwork piece in each one of the circles. <laughs> so she was like oh over there God. for like, you know, she only got two done because she was being, I mean, beautiful, beautiful. And that's how her mind works. And I was like, awesome. That is great. And so she was able to show these little pieces of artwork. And then, you know, my daughter's over there doing smiley faces and football or and basketballs and all kinds of fun stuff. But uh, the funny thing is, you get some people who have some commonalities around them. You do that, people actually will do the exact same thing. You know, like I had one team who they all like at least two or three of the individuals used them to make their college sports, <laughs> um, you know, logo. I had another group and it was during winter and all of them did snowmans for a specific spot. So it was just so fun to be like, oh my gosh, we did the same thing. And then it was also really cool when someone had a really outstanding, amazing idea. Well, it sounds like a very creative idea. Yes. If our listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? They can connect with me on jodybrandstutter.com. And I'm on LinkedIn and I love being connected there. So either way works for me. Awesome. Thank you, Jody. I so appreciate your insights and all of the wisdom that you shared with us today. Thank you so much for having me here. Just thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.